Matthew chapter 2, we're continuing our series called The Gift, where we're looking at the three gifts that the Magi or the wise men brought to Jesus. We're going to read this opening text, and then we're going to hop into, uh, we're going to hop in tonight. We're talking about the gift of myrrh, the gift of myrrh that they brought. This is what it says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Let's skip down to verse 10. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So in this series, we're talking about the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. We say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, open my ears, open my heart, open my mind to receive of your word. Change me. Challenge me. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Come on. Thank you, Landon. I appreciate that. I say that prayer because I don't want you just to hear the words. I don't want you just to get the knowledge in your head. What we really want is we want it to get to your heart, right? So that's the reason we pray that prayer every week. If, when you think about the birth of Jesus, you probably think about a commercialized Western thought of the birth of Jesus. How many of you actually picture, when you picture the birth of Jesus, you probably picture like your grandmother's nativity scene. Anybody? You know, that the, the little porcelain set and uh, every, you know, maybe you love it and you're, you're looking forward to in, inheriting that. But I think that's kind of the way that, that we view Christmas. We view it as the, the three wise men and you've got the, the shepherd boys and, you know, there's always like a, a donkey or a cow or a sheep. And in the middle is little infant Jesus with his hands spread just like this, right? Uh, I, yeah, anyway, that's... When, when you look at history and when you actually study it, most, theolog uh, most theologians will tell you this, that they, they feel like Jesus was probably actually between the ages of 18 to 24 months when the wise men uh, appeared, when they actually showed up. So this kind of changes your whole visual of this nativity scene. Now, wouldn't it be nice if it was the nativity scene? But how many of you have a two-year-old? Anybody? Anybody? How many of you have ever had a two-year-old, right? I, I used to, before I had kids, I used to would judge people based on their two-year-olds. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like when you were out in public and you saw that two-year-old going crazy, what were the famous words that you would lean over and say to your spouse or girlfriend or whoever it was? My kids will never act like that. And then you had a two-year-old and you realized that there is no negotiating with terrorists, Okay. It's just, it, do, it doesn't work. And, and so when you go out to a restaurant, we, we went out with, uh, to celebrate one of our uh, staff members' birthdays this last week, and the dinner went long, and, you know, it was great, and we were having fun, but we have a two-year-old. Her name is Ella, and she just, she lost interest. She was like, look, this dinner party is not interesting to me anymore. The jokes are not landing anymore. And so there was a booth that was next to us, and nobody was sitting there. And she saw this and she was like, this is my chance. I can be a track star. And so what does she do? She makes this like her track and she's just, now kid number one, how many of you know you would have gone over, you would have snatched her up and you would have, kid number four, you're like, isn't that cute? Isn't that just, 
And, uh, you know, you're just, you're just happy that you actually have a moment. When you've got four kids, you're like, you know what? I've got a moment of peace with other adults, and we're enjoying a dinner. This is actually really nice, you know? Uh, and, she, you know, she didn't hurt anything or hurt anybody. But, uh, in fact, when Brooklyn was two, we were trying to take a, a family photo. And uh, have, any, have any of you ever had a kid that just didn't want to take a photo? Like, it was, in fact, when we would break out our camera, we would, when we would go like this, and pointed at her, she would say the words, no picture of me, no picture of me. Like that was, and so anytime like she was against it. So we scheduled a photo shoot for our entire family. It was like the first time our entire family uh, had been together. My mom, my dad, my, my brothers and, and their wives and their kids. And, and we were just gonna have this awesome picture except for Brooklyn wasn't having anything to do with it. As soon as that camera came out, she was like, no. And, and you could see, like, everybody else was getting frustrating because family photos are, are just, they're, they're frustrating to begin with, right? And, and so everybody's getting frustrated, and she will not look at the camera. And I'm like, look, I, I can go inside and spank her, but that's only going to make it worse, right? She's going to come out, and she's going to cry. She's just going to be in a worse mood. So we have a family photo where her head, all we see is the back of her head because she's two. And so maybe this changes the, the whole picture and the whole idea of when you think about the birth of Jesus, and when you think about the wise men came. Either way, however you think about it, whether you want to keep, you know, your little seven-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus uh, in porcelain, if that's the idea, that's okay. But here's the fact that, that really matters that we're going to focus on tonight is that the wise men came bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is what we said about those gifts last week. Gold represents the kingship of Jesus. When they came and they laid these gifts down, it represents the, the, the kingship of Jesus. And we're really going to focus on gold on Christmas Eve. Frankincense, and we talked about this last week, represents Jesus as our high priest. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to that on the app or wherever you listen to podcasts. But this week, we're going to talk about myrrh. We're going to talk about myrrh, and it represents the Lamb of God or the suffering servant. So I'm going to take just a minute, and I want to set up, um, I'm going to set up why myrrh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about holiness and the sinfulness of man, recap just a little bit, and then we're going to get into myrrh. But listen, we're going to talk about myrrh. So this is it. Myrrh, you probably don't know anything about it, right? Myrrh is a valuable gum-like substance that's actually used 17 different times in the Bible. Occasionally, myrrh would be used as an antiseptic. For example, you probably remember when Jesus was on the cross, he was offered wine mixed with myrrh. Now, even that for me, that he was presented myrrh at his birth and he was presented myrrh at his death. But most commonly what myrrh would be used for is it would be used to embalm the dead or to prepare the dead for burial. So myrrh, all scholars agree, and they full-hearted, and I full-heartedly believe and agree with them, that myrrh represents Jesus as the suffering servant or the lamb 
of God. In just a moment, we're going to go and we're going to look in the book of Isaiah. But before we do this, I just want to talk about why, what Christmas solves. There's a problem that Christmas solves. We talked about this last week. Number one, uh, the holiness of God. We've got these two forces that are working against each other. Since the book of Genesis, it's the holiness of God and it's the sinfulness of man. God doesn't hate the sinner, but he does hate sin. And the reason he hates sin is because it separated him from his creation. So why does God hate sin is because it separated him from his creation. So we've got the holiness of God and we've got the sinfulness of man. And Isaiah 53, six says it this way. We all, come on, somebody say the word all. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. So you can even see here when Isaiah begins to write this, which we're going to read about Jesus in Isaiah 53, that we can see that there's the holiness of God, that we serve a God that is holy, that can have nothing to do with sin, but we have uh, the sinfulness of man because we all have gone astray. We all like sheep have gone astray. So I want you to understand this. When Isaiah, when he wrote this, we all like sheep have gone astray, it wasn't a compliment. It wasn't a nice thing that Isaiah was saying. Isaiah wasn't saying, you know, he could have said, hey, we all like lions. He could have said, we all like eagles. He could have given us some kind of compliment, but he didn't. He said, we all like sheep have gone astray. It wasn't a compliment. Why? Because sheep are not the smartest animals. Look, they're cute, they're fluffy, but they are not smart. So when he called us sheep, what he was saying is you're not the smartest crayon in the box. Before you get offended, let me finish my message, all right? Because here's the deal. You can train most animals. You can train dogs. You can even train cats. Do we have any dog people? Dog people? Do we have any cat people? Do we have any cat people? It's okay. We're praying for you guys. Cat people. You can train pigs. I don't know why my, my wife wants a potbelly pig. You can train a pig. You can train elephants. You, you know, there's a lot of things that you could train, but there's one thing that you can't train, and it's a sheep. I even went to YouTube. I was like, okay, is this really real? You can't train sheep? And there was one person I saw, and on YouTube, she called it the smartest sheep in the world, and she could make it jump through her hands. It wasn't really impressive. But uh, when he called us a sheep, it wasn't a compliment because he said, we all like sheep have gone astray. And sheep are basically known for these three things. If you're taking note, I want you to write this down because this is where we're gonna get into the bulk of our message tonight. Is that sheep, they are weak, they are witless, and they are wayward. They are weak, sheep are witless, and sheep are wayward. And Isaiah says, we are all like what? We are all like sheep. Sheep are weak. So think about this. Sheep really are defenseless. If, if a coyote comes or if some other predator comes, what do sheep do? Do they like put out their fangs? And no, they don't do that. Do they have a, a venomous bite? No, they don't have a venomous bite. Do they have quills? They don't have quills. They don't have wings where they can fly away. Sheep are defenseless. And so what they'll do is they'll just huddle together and they're just kind of like, I don't know, take your pick, you know, weak as link, just go ahead. And so those sheep are weak, but Isaiah says this, we are all like sheep that have gone astray. How many of you know that we are weak? And, I, and if I can just for a minute just talk to you, because weakness is not something that we want to admit, especially 
in America, especially in the United States. The last thing that we want to admit is that we're weak. Can I tell you that race today for me was hard. I didn't know how I was gonna get through 13 miles. I felt good for about six. I was like, oh man, this feels good. And then somewhere around six, I thought there's no way I'm making it to the end of this race. I'm gonna die out here on this race course and they're not gonna have church tonight because I'm just, I'm gonna be dead. And I, I don't know who's gonna preach because I'm about to die out here. I mean, it, it was rough. It was rough, but it was, I felt weak. And we don't like to admit that we're weak and we don't like to admit that we have weaknesses in our life. But we open up these altars every week, why? Because we all are like sheep and we all have weaknesses. And can I tell you the purpose of opening this up every week is to say, hey, you know what? I walk through battles, I walk through struggles and without Jesus's strength, I'm not gonna make it through. And when we come to a place in our life, I love what 2 Corinthians said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made what? It's made perfect. It's made perfect in my weakness. Can I pause reading this for a minute and say that if the writer of most of the New Testament was able to say, I have a weakness, that we should be able to step up and say, I have a weakness that we should be able to humble ourselves and say, I am not perfect, but I am only made perfect when I will admit my weakness and let God's strength fill me. Come on, is there anybody that believes that tonight? My grace is sufficient for you, Paul wrote, but my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, listen to what he said. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. We, we want to create an atmosphere here at Restoration Church where we can be vulnerable. We want to create an atmosphere to where you can pick up the phone and you can call somebody from your men's small group. You can pick up the phone and you can call me or you can call my wife and you can say, I am struggling. Uh, in, in the things that I say, in the way that I think, in the things that I'm looking at, whatever the struggle is that you could pick up the phone and you can go, I am weak. And we could say, good, that's the best place you can be because it's when you're at your weakest that God's strength fills you. I need his strength. And just like sheep, I am weak. But we don't like to admit the weakness. And you know, that's really how we got our mission statement, building better lives, is because no matter where you're at, you can always get better. And we want, we're here for a community that puts up a front of everything is okay. We're here for a community and for a city that we can pretend like we have it all together all day long, but until we realize that we are all like sheep, we have all gone astray, we are all weak, that's, it, it won't, Nothing's gonna happen until we get to that point and we allow God's strength to come in our life. Come on, somebody say amen tonight. So sheep are weak, but sheep are also witless. I mean, they, they, don't, even, they don't even say like, hey, you like, they don't have a strategy or a plan. You run this way, I'll run this way, and we'll trick the enemy. It's just huddle up and let's hope for the best. So they're witless, they're, they're, they're not very smart. Listen to this, in 2005 in Turkey, 1,500 dumb sheep ran off of a cliff. 1,500, sheep are witless, 1,500. You would think that like after 20 sheep go off the edge of a cliff that you know one of them would be like, hang on, wait. 
uh, let's, don't, let's don't do this anymore. Let's, let's just put a pause on things. No, but it, they just kept going, 100, 200, 300, 400. Look, the bad news is that all 1,500 went off the cliff. The good news is that only 400 of them died because eventually the 400 on the bottom made a very nice, soft sheep <laughs> pillow, sheep skin. And so not all of them died. So there's, a, there's good news, but they're not very smart. Sheep are not smart. You know, they, they, they follow what they see. And how many of us have been like that? How many of us have not had a mind of our own and we've just followed the crowd? We've just followed what our, our, maybe we even say it this way, just follow our heart. You're like, oh, you know what? If I just buy this, I'll be happy. If I just buy that, I'll be happy. No, you're not. You're just in debt. Or, or you're like, if I have this experience or if I have that experience or if I do this or I'll do that, that'll bring me joy and peace. No, it won't. You just end up hurt. And so we end up going wayward and doing our own things and wandering off the path because Isaiah wrote it this way. We all are like sheep that have all gone astray. We don't do smart things. This is why Jesus instructed us to pray this way. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. So when Jesus was instructing his disciples on how to pray, how does he tell them to pray? He goes, look, I, I realize that you're not going to make the smartest decisions, but if you'll pray this prayer, lead me not into temptation. Don't even let me get into the tempting situation. Don't lead me into a tempting situation, but deliver me from evil. I don't want to mess up. I, look, I know I'm weak, so I know if I get in the tempting situation that I might just give in to the temptation. So don't even lead me into temptation. Keep me strong. And then I love the way James says it in James 1.5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I need wisdom. I need wisdom every day. I, I, I'm weak and I need God's thoughts. I need his mind. I need his wisdom so I can make the right decisions for my family, so I can make the right decisions for myself, so I can avoid temptation, so I make the right decisions for the church. Every day I'm saying, God, give me wisdom. Why? Because just like sheep, I'm witless. And then number three, write this down, sheep are wayward. Sheep are wayward. They wander. They wander. Listen to what Matthew 18, 12 says. What do you think? If one man owns a hundred sheep and one of them, what? Wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for that one? How many of you have been the one before? I have. I've been the one that wandered off and Jesus had to come and bring me back into the fold. I've been the one that went wayward. I've been the one that went astray. I've been the one that let my thoughts go astray or my actions go astray. I've been the one, but I'm thankful that there is the one who laid down his life and came after me so that I could be saved. He is the lamb of God. We've all gone astray and Isaiah said it this way. I love the way the new living says it. It says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. Watch what it says. We have left God's path to follow our own. I love the way it says that. How many of you have left God's path before to follow your own, to pursue your own ambition, to pursue your own dreams, to pursue even maybe the, your own 
sinfulness or, or the desires of your flesh. We left God's path to follow our own, but I love what that last part says. Yet the Lord laid on him. Who is him? Is Jesus. He laid on him the sins of us all. Sheep are witless. Sheep are wayward. And we're no different. Matthew 7, 13 says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and, and the gate is wide for the many who will choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and it's a very difficult road and only the few ever find it. How do I stay on the straight and narrow? Only by God's strength, because my weaknesses will lead me astray. My weaknesses, my, my desires, they will lead me astray. But when I come to God every day and I say, God, I need your wisdom. God, I need your strength. When I'm willing to own up to it and go, God, I need your strength. That's when I can walk in the way of the Lord. Choosing to admit your weaknesses, it's not easy. I'll tell you what is easy, falling back on your sinful tendencies. Choosing to do things God way, that's hard. And I know that's not what you wanna hear tonight. Choosing things to do things God's way can be hard because anyone can turn to the bottle. Anyone can turn to medication. Anyone can turn to the internet when there's no intimacy in your marriage. Those are the easy way. Anybody can do that. But showing up on a Sunday night is sometimes hard. Lifting your hands in worship is sometimes difficult. Praying to God when you know that you're going through, sometimes those things can be difficult, but those are the things that are gonna produce life in your life. We need those. So we got the problem here. <laughs> we're sheep. We're, we go wayward. We're witless. We're, we're not wise. We, so we've got the problem, but what is the answer? What is the answer? Isaiah 53, if you got your Bible, I want you to turn there because I really want you to see this. This was prophesied 700 years, 700 years before Jesus would walk the earth. The prophet Isaiah would prophesy these things. And as I go through this, listen to the pinpoint accuracy that he describes the things that would happen to Jesus. Jesus, this myrrh, remember that we're talking about represents Jesus as the Lamb of God. Isaiah said that he became the Lamb of God and that he laid on him the sins of us all. So listen to this, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain. Surely he bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. And each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led, listen to this, listen to the, the words that it uses. 
He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus was the lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. I want you to think for for me with just a second. Because I think a lot of times we think of Jesus as a distant God that doesn't know what we go through. But think back with me for a minute. And let's start just in the garden of Gethsemane. You can play. And think as Jesus went with his 12 disciples. And he left three, brought three, and then he left them. And it's the night before he would die. And he goes. And he begins to pray and he begins to cry out to God. Father, if it's your will, if it's your will, let this let this cup pass from me. And he goes a little further and, and he falls on his knees again and he prays. And prays to the point his body becomes so stressed that the capillaries under his skin would burst and then combine to mix with his sweat to where his sweat would turn to blood. He was under such stress in that moment. So for anybody that would say, God doesn't understand the stress that I'm under, we have a God that was so stressed in his physical body. I don't want to have to endure that. I don't want to have to endure the nails. But nonetheless, Father, whatever your will is, let your will be done. And then that night, he would be betrayed with a kiss. And some of you have been betrayed and you think God has never been betrayed, but he was betrayed by one of his best friends, one of the 12 who'd come and betray him with a kiss. And then to top that off, the the other 11 would scatter and they would leave him. And one of his closest, one of the, the three that were the closest to him would would sit by a fire as Jesus is walking by and said, I don't know the man. And Jesus would hear his words. He was unjustly tried. And then he was taken and he was beaten. And he was flogged with a cat of nine tails, 39. To the point of where most scholars would say that at that point, he should have been dead. And then they put that beam on his shoulders and on his back and they made him carry it up the hill. And when he got to the place of Golgotha, the place of the skull, they would take those nails and they would drive those nails into his hands and into his feet. And they would take the myrrh that is mixed with wine and they would try to give it to him and he would even reject that. And then perhaps the most painful moment is where the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God can no longer exist. And when Jesus took on the sins of the world, God would look away. Jesus would say the words, my father, my father, why have you forsaken? knew what it was like to feel like God wasn't there, even though God was, but to feel like God wasn't there. 
Anybody that's ever said, where were you in this moment? Jesus knows. And then with pinpoint accuracy, Isaiah would go on to say that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And he was. Joseph of Arimathea would be taken and and laid in his tomb. He became our suffering servant so we didn't have to suffer. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Because he would look at us and go, yes, you may not be wise and you may be witless and you may be wayward, but when I give my life for you, as a sacrifice, I'm gonna provide you with strength. I'm gonna provide you with wisdom. I'm gonna provide you with grace. I'm gonna provide you with everything you need. So he would give his life. So the wise men brought these gifts and they laid them, whether it's at the feet of an infant or a toddler, they laid this gift of myrrh signify that Jesus was born to die. That he was born to pay the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Will you stand on your feet? As I close, it it just, it paints a picture for me of the Passover. If you're not familiar with the Passover, it was a day and a holiday in, in Jewish history to where as the children of Israel were exiting Egypt and God had hardened the heart of Pharaoh, that God gave specific instructions to Moses that every household would take a lamb and prepare it for dinner. And they would take the blood of that lamb and they would put it over the doorpost and and on the side of the doorpost. And when the death angel would come through, that if it saw that blood, that it would pass over that house. To think about in that moment, how Jesus became our lamb. That as we say, God, Lord, I I accept the blood that you shed on my behalf. Let it be applied to my life. And when God sees me, he sees grace. He sees forgiveness. Lord, look at me with eyes of grace. Tonight, just every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, we're thankful for you tonight as the Lamb of God. We're thankful for you that you gave your life.